You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Hey, welcome to Content Prior to Invest. Oh, no, that's the wrong, <laughs> wrong, uh, wrong podcast, Shank. That's, that's a different podcast. We're, we're alcoholics alive, but I, I got to, I got to tell you after, uh, I've had a couple weeks of, of very busy AA activity. Mm-hmm. And I am, I got a, a new list full of meeting shrapnel. Yeah. And I am absolutely convinced after hearing some of the stuff I've heard, and I've heard some good stuff, but I have, I've heard some stuff that has confirmed the need for just some simple AA principles and probably the need for our podcast. So people that are just looking for a simple solution can find one. So anyway, there's some, there's some, some really, uh, I would call it stuff that Dr. Bob warned us of the Freudian, uh, stuff it's just institutional <clears throat> psychology and just really weird things going on out there that no shortage and, sound there is no shortage sounds and feels good but it, i don't think it'll help you recover from alcoholism anyway we uh we're glad to be with you today we've got a uh, a great guest um our guest today is john we're uh you're great. Loudshirt. Loudshirt. Loudshirt, John. <laughs> Welcome, Loudshirt. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Howdy, folks. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. Glad to be here. Appreciate the invitation <clears throat> and appreciate an opportunity to talk on and, and you know, have a Q&A about, you know, one of my favorite subjects in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the home group. And I'll qualify myself a little bit. My sobriety date's March 7th, 1989. And, um, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I came to a, a treatment center. In fact, I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I came there for no other reason than I was living in a house with no running water, or electricity, or gas, or telephone. Had been living nice. in that house for the better part of half a year, I guess, and I uh, had to steal water to flush my toilet. Uh, yes, you know, and I had the opportunity to go to this rehab, and I did not believe I was an alcoholic. <clears throat> um, I thought I might have had a teensy little drug problem. I thought I might be right. mentally, uh, you know, unwell. And if I could get my mental unwellness sorted out, then probably I'd be okay. And, uh, and the treatment center had electricity and running water and three meals a day. And I could get back in my mother's good graces and potentially, you know, wheedle a little more money out of her. Uh, that was my whole motivation coming in here, man. And uh, <clears throat> so this was in uh, 89. I came to Atlanta from Gainesville, Florida. And uh, I discovered Alcoholics Anonymous, and it took less than 30 days for that to happen because they had people from groups coming in there as part of their 12-step commitments and their fifth tradition carrying the message. You know, they, they, they had commitments at this treatment center, and they came in there four or five nights a week, and they had speaker meetings. And, you know, uh, I, you know I just heard these stories. And I'm a big believer in speaker meetings to this day for that reason, uh, you know, that no matter how, cause I'm crazy. I mean, I am as crazy as an alcoholic can be coming in here and mentally I can't read a single paragraph of the big book or any other book. Uh, because I get to the fifth sentence of the paragraph. I can't remember the first sentence. Right. But I somehow mm-hmm. in that mental state, I can sit there for an hour and listen to an AA talk and an alcoholic telling them the truth about themselves in their experience, strength and hope and get ca- completely captivated by that talk and listen attentively, find myself absorbed into it. And after about 10 or 15 talks, I just threw in the towel. I mean, I'm, these are my people, you know, these are my people. And that was my experience. So, you know, I started drinking at a young age. I mean, 13, got sober at 19, a couple of months shy of my 20th birthday. So I only drank for about six years, um, nice. you know, and uh, uh, I, I loved it. I, I've never had yeah. a love affair quite like it. Um, from day one for my first drunk, I became, I realized, I mean, this is kind of tongue in cheek, right? But, uh, I realized on my first drunk at 13 that I had alcohol deficiency 
Because I had never felt that good. I didn't know feeling right. that good was even possible. That relaxed, that at ease with the people around me. Um, because yeah. I was always a high strung, you know, class clown, afraid of everybody, acting like I'm not, you know, stage character guy. I, I mean, just my whole life. I, I, that's just, I was born that way as far as I can tell, you know, and uh, that all went away at 13 with two quarts of Mickey's Mean Green Malt Liquor. And, Ooh. Uh, Whoa, nice. Wow. No one's brought that up on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the first. And, you know, and I drank and, you know, I mixed in a lot of other stuff. You know, I'm one of those equal opportunity guys. Anything anyone ever put in front of me, I did it. And, uh, you know, I always drank a lot. I always smoked a lot of weed and popped a lot of pills and did a lot of things. But, you know, I uh, that, that transformation that happened from that first drink, that first drunk, because I don't remember my first drink. I'm from a big family. I got seven brothers and sisters and everybody drank. I was the number six child. So my older brothers and sisters drank. And this is in the seventies, you know, and, you know, growing up in the seventies and uh, the older brothers and sisters, they were all kind of part of that counterculture movement and uh, you know, the ex hippies and all that. And my parents were very, you know, progressive minded, uh, educated people and they drank and had cocktail parties. And I just always was attracted to it. Um, and uh, so anyway, I hit it hard and fast. And uh, you know, by the time I was eight, 17, I dropped out of high school. Um, I did not care. I did not give one crap about what was going on in high school other than I was going to meet up with people, find out where the party was and go to it. And I missed an awful lot of it and got into a lot of trouble there. Got arrested a time or two and uh, uh, ended up in Gainesville, Florida, flat on my back in 1989. And that's how I got here. And like I said, I, 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 the experience that I had is this, I fell in love with the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous in that treatment center. I thought I was falling in love with Alcoholics Anonymous, but I realized now I was falling in love with the fellowship, the people you guys. I love you guys. You guys are simply fantastic. You know, alcoholics are funny and irreverent and they don't give a damn about anything and they do whatever they want to do. And that pretty much summarizes my life up to that point. And uh, after about three years in here and I'm a seven meeting a week guy for three years, and I'm slowly dying in the rooms of alcoholics. Hey, hey, meeting makers make it. I was making lots of meetings, man. I, I believe that. And I really, I, I genuinely believed at that time that I had a kick-ass AA program because I went to seven meetings a week. Yeah. And by the way, I shared in every one of those. Oh, seven I meetings. know you did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every one. Even if somebody shared the thing I was going to share, I shared it anyway. Yeah. Because I knew I had a little bit better phraseology. Sure. <laughs> but I could share where you That it would get across better, right? Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes people would come up to me at the end of those meetings and say, God, you know, John, what you shared was really meaningful. And I, it just just got me right here. And I would say something I felt was appropriate. Like, Hey man, you just keep coming. Cause it's going to, I was oh, very genuine. God. I felt, I felt yeah. very genuine saying those things. And one of my subsequent sponsors, once I finally got a sponsor and got into the book, cause I didn't have a, I did have a sponsor during those years, but it was kind of a name only deal. I wasn't really running things by a sponsor. I was certainly not sitting down and going through the 12 steps out of the book with a sponsor. When I finally did those things, one of my sponsors said, dude, you weren't carrying the message. You were spreading the disease. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. As a matter of fact, I got arrested about two years sober um, for driving on a suspended license one night after leaving one of these late night meetings, late night clubhouse meetings. It was about midnight. Oh, yeah. I had a sponsee, guys. I had a sponsee in the car as I was pulled over and cuffed and taken to jail. Nice. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, yeah, my, that's, I had, my sponsor was like, if you could find mm. that guy, you got to make amends to him. Yeah. <laughs> you could find that guy. Um, but uh, anyway, it was about three and a half years sober for me where it all kind of crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. And on the outside, at that time, things were better than they'd ever been. You know, I had gotten a GED. I had gone through junior college and made straight A's. I had transferred over to Emory University here in town. Uh, I was a regular, you know, pr- proper university student. You know, I had making more money than I'd ever made. Uh, you know, I was physically more fit than I'd ever been. 
you know, a lot of us, you know, that are seeking power, you know, we'll, we'll seek it in the gym. Oh yeah. The exercise. Yeah. yeah it's important. Oh man. I was, uh, I had a better tan than I'd ever had Jerry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, so on the outside, everything looked better than it had ever looked, but I was dying. I was like suicidally depressed. Yeah. You know, and I'd been doing all kinds of psychotherapy during those first three years too. I'm an intellectual guys, which means I chased down the intellectual things. You know, I had read all the self-help books, you know, the late eighties, early nineties. I mean, the child within oh uh, yeah oh yeah seven habits of highly effective people and love yeah. it oh Stephen covey man slew. i love Stephen. that's right whole yeah. slew of those those things i had read and well, um and been, you know been recommended those things by people in the rooms you know oh god you got to read this book and you got to read that book and and i read every damn book but the big book nice you know? yeah. and you know Cut. and i had the judgment that a lot of folks have i think um uh, what is this 1930s doctor you know this 1930s people how can they have any stockbroker yeah some stockbroker some doctor you know uh from the 30s i mean come on i mean i can't relate to those people and uh it's funny because today i relate to both of those people so profoundly right (laughs) i feel like uh, for me did you read Uh, codependent no more i did and i went to coda i went to that damn thing well being being that you are a self-described intellectual (laughs) which i love because a lot of women that i sponsor just Uh, you know they think that they're very open-minded and spiritual and in some ways they are but they're very intellectual um i would be interested to hear your experience um pretty early on with our topic so a what is our topic jay wayne today the topic is AA home group where it all begins. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's it doesn't sound like that's where it all began for you, but <laughs> it did not uh, for me. <clears throat> one of the things in the pamphlet. So this is, you know, most of the pamphlets I think uh leaflets if you will, some of them are leaflets. They all kind of say in my opinion the same things just in a little bit different way to kind of cater to whatever the topic is. But one thing in this pamphlet that it really kind of drives home several times is tradition three. So in tradition three, the long form specifically, it says our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover, nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group, they have no other affiliation. So what was your experience with the group kind of when you or with a meeting when you first arrived at AA? It was definitely not with a group. It was with meetings. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was I've come to understand there's a really fundamental difference between a meeting and a group. Mm-hmm. And I am a member today. So my home group today is the fifth tradition group, uh, which is, is a you know big book meeting on Thursdays, a speaker meeting on Saturdays. And then beyond that, and I think this is the thing that makes it a group more than the two meetings that we hold is that we do a whole bunch of commitments around 12 step commitments uh, around town. We do meetings at halfway houses. We do meetings at treatment centers. We do meetings at a prison here in in, uh, in Atlanta. And all of those meetings are the group's effort to carry the message to the alcoholic, wherever they might be. Um, That one of the things that the home group has come to mean to me is that we don't wait for an alcoholic to come to us. We try to go to them um, and try to bring the, the, the simple message of Alcoholics Anonymous, because as you guys know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that floats around the rooms is has no foundation in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and it's whatever, just yeah. things from the broader community and the broader, you know, culture that we live in, filter in. <clears throat> and uh, for the newcomer, uh, they don't really know the difference between <laughs> what's, you know, what's flying around the, the discussion. Mm-hmm. Meeting. And what the, the literature has to say, you know, we have a approved literature <laughs> and we have a very specific suggested program of action <laughs> for getting well from alcoholism. So, um, you know, so I, I and I made I didn't make that distinction. I went to whatever meeting everybody was going to and I never joined a group. I never signed up uh, to be a member of any group, you know, uh, if if on. A, so I was pretty young. Let's let, let me let me throw that I was 
19, almost 20, I guess, I, 19 when I got sober. And uh, so I just ran around with the young people wherever they were going. And, you know, I'm a young, young, look, young men particularly are dumb. <laughs> okay. It's just a yeah. fact of life. And you I'm heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I would agree. Dumb as I was when I was that age. <laughs> Um, and maybe dumb is the wrong word. I, Cause like, again, I was, no, it's the right word intelligence, but intelligence does not mean wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? And I had, you know, none of it. So anyway, I ran around what, look, if, if on a Friday night, everybody was going to one particular meeting that I was in my circle, that's where I went. You know, if I ever by accident ended up in a big book study, I never went back because those people were taking things way too seriously. <laughs> I wear this program like a loose garment, y'all, you know? Was what I would say. Y'all are mm-hmm. yeah. like advanced. You're like AA. the duck, the water just rolls off. Yeah, yeah. Man, come on, you know. So, and uh, and again, I didn't, you know, realize it at the time, but that was contributing to my spiritual malady, and I got sicker and sicker over three and a half years before I finally, you know, was lucky enough to run into some people who did have home groups, who did have sponsors, and who were making a, an earnest effort to work the twelve steps. And, uh, and, and they were getting results from that, that I wasn't getting <laughs> that. So mm-hmm. the power of attraction of those folks eventually worked because I was ready to drink again. I almost did drink again, three and a half years sober. And, uh, anyway, that was my first home group around that time, uh, was here in town, the Skyland group here in Atlanta. Very so you were, group. so, so you were three and a half years sober before you actually joined the group. Absolutely. Okay. And my sponsor said, you need to go see the secretary and sign up to be a member, you know, <clears throat> and then you need to take a commitment in the group. And my first commitment was the taper guy. I was the taper guy. We had a, a AV. Night speaker meeting and we were making tapes, cassette tapes, y'all. This is like yeah. 92 or so, 93. <laughs> and uh, so I had to start the little, I had to make sure the microphone was set up and have my little headphones and I had a little tape deck and I had to start the tape and then tell them, okay, it's rolling, you know? And then if, and then if somebody wanted a copy of a tape, I had to take the original tape and get one of those little dual tape deck, little boom boxes. And That's awesome. Copy, you know, and then, uh, and then stop it, flip it, you know, make a copy on the backside and then give it to them, you know, and it was $2 to get a copy Love it. of any talk. <laughs> Love it. You know, that was my first job, mm-hmm. you know, my first home group job. Yeah. You know, I had done some other things, but first home group job. So Wayne, what was your experience, your first experience with a quote home group? It was a group that, um, I mean, I was right when I got sober, I was, I mean, I was taught two things. One was to get a sponsor and one was to get a home group. And I joined a group. I mean, pretty quick. I I did go around, uh, to a few other groups. I think one of the good, one of the, I don't know if it's good. It was simple. Where I was living when I got sober, there were only about three or four groups. So I didn't have a big <laughs> selection. Mm-hmm. And I I joined a group. I mean, barely, you know, barely sober, three or four weeks sober. Well, I was I was probably four weeks sober when I when I joined <laughs> the group. And I mean looking back on it, I mean nobody like nobody like pushed me or forced me. It was just, Hey, it's probably a good idea that you join a group. And, um, I joined a group and I got a sponsor in that same group. I mean, that's, that's why I joined that group. There were people there that I was attracted to that. I I liked their message. Um, and I've been a group, a member of a group ever since then, but you know that group was um, looking back on it. It it um it was started by this lady that had moved down from New York, and was I I didn't know any of this at the time. This is all hindsight, but she she was a counselor at a treatment center, and she was had resentments at some AA groups and some, I guess, old timers in AA that were trying to keep AA kind of traditional. So she started this group and I didn't know it at the time, but they actually changed the preamble. This is worthless information, but they had rewritten 
they had rewritten the preamble to include drug addicts. Hmm. And I don't remember I bet, exactly. I bet what you it, liked that. You were like, yeah. But I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I, I mean, I had, I had no idea until later. Um, now I did have a, I enjoyed cocaine. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it kind of fit, but, you know, looking back on it, I mean, they gave me a job. I mean, I, I helped clean up. I think I made, I got there early and made coffee and they, they got me involved. Now I will say this, they were even as goofy as some of that stuff was, they were, they were step and big book and, um, 12 and 12, they used the 12 and 12 some, but they were, they were on point with the message of basically, you know, believing in a power grade yourself and trying to help people. And we did, we, they had commitments out of like the mental health facility and at the, at the, the prison in Lillington. And I got involved in all that early on. I, I mean, looking back on it, I'm fortunate hmm. that, that man, if I'd have gotten, if I'd have gotten, kind of told, Hey, go to that young people group in Raleigh. And, uh, cause I was young and I'm telling you, I'd have, I'd have about three wives and 62 children right now. I, <laughs> uh, well, Jerry, um, you said but, something, you know, interesting about, um, you know, the, how fortunate you were to run into those particular folks at that particular time. And that's been my experience with the home group is it really, it's been my experience with everything in AA, but, you know, um, uh, you know, my, the evolution for me of the importance of the home group, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, you know, has been that it's been uh, changed a lot over the years. And we moved to Connecticut when I was about five years sober and we fell in with some people starting a group there. And it was this one old timer because we didn't really like any of the meetings when we moved there. I know that's mm-hmm. a shocker to people who've ever moved in sobriety that they didn't like the <laughs> AA where they moved, but, uh, we fell in with these folks and it was about eight or 10 of us started a group in Connecticut and this one old timer who I really didn't like particularly. Um, we, we kind of butted heads on a lot of different things, but he had this vision of the home group and he'd been sober for a really long time, 40 years or something. And uh, he said, you know, the groups used to be different. He would say, you know, the, there was a unity and there was a commitment to one group, you know, and you went to other groups and, and I think going to other groups and meetings yeah. is obviously good. Um, but, he said the group takes the message to people and that group was 10 people. And we had this long group conscious about, should we do this meeting at this local hospital? You know, and and there's only 10 of us. So we really don't have enough people to cover it and blah, blah, blah. But we did it anyway because of this old timer. And that group went from 10 people to 40 people over the course of about a year. And about half of those, that 40 that we attracted the group came right out of that hospital. Because they met us in the hospital and they Mm -hmm. knew where to go and they got out of the hospital. And it was the first time for me of really seeing the collective 12 step effort of a group, the collective effort of of a group really pushing the fifth tradition of this is our purpose to carry the message and let's go carry it. And so that kind of cemented that for me, you know, at that time that was, you know, and again, that was like 95, you know, so you were sober six years. Five or six years, huh? Six years, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now Shank has a little bit of a of a unique experience when you first got I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's unique necessarily. It is well, to the three it's of not, us, probably. Well, it's it's unique to most AA members, I would think. John's experience is probably more like what people have experience with is they bounce around a bunch of meetings and then either they go relapse and disappear or they get connected. Mm-hmm. yours was group and then you were in you were in the clink for a while and had, didn't even have a group did you well you know I did maintain so I went to treatment and when I was getting out of treatment I knew I was going to go to prison I was there for 30 days and so they called someone up in Raleigh and said hey this woman's going to take you to a meeting and when she did that you know I remember joining that group I was four weeks sober And maybe five, I remember joining, but just because I didn't know what else to do. Um, And thank God that I fell into that group also, because over two months period, they taught me 
uh, how to make coffee, shake hands, show up, go be of service. I went to, you know, Holly Hill to a mental ward. No one told me that's where we were going. Um, they just took me in there and they were like, share your experience. And I said, that's well, right. you know, I'm like five weeks yeah. sober. These women tricked me into being here and I haven't been drinking is basically what I said. <laughs> um, I helped them. Probably. But when I went to prison, you know, I, I would tell you that I did not, I maintained that gratitude study group was still my home group, which was the group outside of the prison because the meetings inside the facility were just um, really bad. In my opinion, I'm so thankful that women brought those meetings in to every facility I was in. And I still see all of those women except one in meetings and at our state conventions and you know all these women that brought women that brought the message into me however you know i just had a big book i could not understand um why these women were bringing the meetings into the facility there were two women that were pregnant and i was like isn't there someone else that can bring this meeting into the maximum security prison like why are they making you do it why are you putting yourself and your child in danger? You know, and they were just always like, Susie, you know, one day you're going to be able to help others. So I'm, I'm looking back on it. I can say like this home group that I had for seven years, they were three legacy group. They were practicing yeah. taking the message into jails, prisons, hospitals, you know, anything you can think of. And even though I didn't understand it at the time and thought that they were stupid or sending the wrong people, you know, they were they were a strong AA group who I was a group project. I mean, they got and kept me sober and on the right track um, when I really wanted to act out. So. So right there's a right there is a very good reason to have what I guess we've referred to as three legacy groups, because. Mm -hmm. Because that group was a three legacy group, they weren't just a meeting in a clubhouse where people were just dropping in after lunch or after work or whatever the case may be. They supported you when you were absent in prison. Yes. And that's powerful. I mean, that, the, that, the meeting, you know, that it was a meeting basically that brought uh, or it was a group that brought the meeting into the prison sure. and that group, you know, is still around today and they are a three legacy group. And then when I was transferred to another prison, um, the women that were bringing the meeting into that prison were part of a three legacy group. And these are groups that like I've been able since I've been out to go and meet everyone and realize that like all of these people know each other and mm -hmm. do service together in the state. Yeah. You know, um, so that's been really cool, too. So my understanding when I got released from prison and went to like a non-AA sanctioned uh, weekend in the mountains and I see all these women there that I'm like, oh, my gosh, y'all all brought the message to me. I've been out for like a month. What the heck? And they're like, oh, yeah, we all know each other. Um, it was really cool to see kind of like that in action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a real power of attraction, isn't it? Yeah. It oh, is. yeah, definitely. And I, but, and I still benefited from it, even though I did not have any understanding whatsoever. What any yeah, of that yeah. I didn't understand. John, and still, but definitely didn't understand a lot of the examples that were made for me, the demonstrations that people made for me until much later. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's a lot of our, actually, especially in prisons and treatment centers, you know, a lot of people are in those meetings for one reason or another, besides a desperate desire to find a solution to their alcohol problem. But I think a lot of those people get sober 20 years later, 10 years later in another state. They don't remember mm -hmm. our first names, you know? Yeah. And uh, because I, I mean, I say often when I tell my story or when I share in a meeting, you know, someone said, and I couldn't tell you his name. They said this in a meeting when I was my first year. And it somehow sunk in there, even though I don't remember the name of the person who said it. And a lot of uh, the people who are out there just, one of my sponsors told me, if you ever open your mouth and Alcoholics Anonymous, John, you're doing 12-step work to make sure you do it well. That opening your mouth, whether you're speaking, you know, at a Saturday night at a convention, whether you're 
in a, in a discussion meeting, you know, whether you're in a committee meeting that you're trying to be helpful and share your experience to be helpful to somebody. And I've been helped by a bunch of anonymous people whose names I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely for sure. That's true. If you're out there listening, there's a good pamphlet called the A group where it all begins. I think Absolutely. Shank already mentioned it, but um, <clears throat> might want to check that. There's a question in there. There's a lot of questions in there, but one question that says, how do you become an AA member? Mm. Yeah. And, and well, think it says, about how do you that? become a, a group member, right? How do you join the group, right? And, well, yeah. the, now that we talked about this before we got, we started recording here today, but there's different versions of the pamphlet and I'm operating about two versions back with the pamphlet I'm looking at in front of me today. And it says, how do you become You're a renegade? AA? I'm a renegade, <laughs> right? How do you become an AA group member? Right. It says it makes the distinction like everyone's an AA member. As soon as you say you're an AA member, you're an AA member. But group membership is within AA. You're a member of a certain group. And it says, you know, it goes on to say, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that you help that group execute its primary purpose uh, by whatever means. I mean, when you're brand new, that might look like, well, I set up the chairs. You know, I, I make the coffee. I, I become a greeter, you know, as Shank talked about, you know, I learn how to shake hands with people and welcome them to the meeting. We have greeters at our group. It's one of the things I love about my home group. We have greeters. They're standing at the door. Everybody gets a handshake on the way in. If you're new, the coffee's right over here. The bathroom's right over there. You know, the little things, little, little things. But, uh, but that to me is part of what group membership means. Um, in our group, which I can, you know, only talk about my experience, but in our group, you, you can only join our group at the monthly business meeting. Oh yeah. Because attendance at the monthly business meeting is strongly suggested if you're a group member. It's a great idea. And that's about the only that? time you can that's the only time Lord, you can sign don't, up at our group. Let me jot don't that give down. Shank, don't give Shank any ideas. <laughs> loud oh, shirt. Man. This is great. Let me hey, jot that down. Shirt. Well, but that gets them to the business meeting. And they get to see we have a monthly business meeting. That's another part of group membership is having participating in the group conscience. And I can only do that at the monthly business meeting where we hear reports from our treasurer, from our secretary, from our speaker chairperson, you know, from the hospital institutions, people from the corrections, people, what's going on, you know, what are the commitments we got? And we vote every month for the, we have, we have in our group, we have 42 monthly positions. There's like five people on setup for the month for Thursday, five people on cleanup for Thursday, five people on setup for Saturday, five people on cleanup for Saturday. Two greeters for Thursday, two greeters for Saturday. Two ushers for Thursday, two ushers for Saturday. We have a butt picker. Yeah, That's you got people things. that unfold the money? You know, <laughs> well, we have people who collect the money for the treasurer, pass the Do baskets. They, oh, you know, when, yeah. Yeah. And our group's big. It's a couple, you know, it's 100, 150 people. Uh, so, you know, it, it takes a little organization uh, to, to do all that. But, but we do that at the business meeting in, in addition to signing up for the home group, you know. What, um, what, um, you mentioned it earlier. So what, what's your thoughts on the difference between a, a meeting and a group? Yeah, that's a great question. That's an important question. Um, because it says a meeting is a time and a place where a members get together. Um, and, and a group, it, it says exists outside of the time and place. And so our group exists outside of the, so we hold two primary meetings a week, Thursday night, 7 PM, big book study, Saturday night, 7 PM speaker meeting. But we have group officers and a collective group conscience and an organization that's taking place outside of that. Somebody has to organize the schedule for our Monday night treatment center meeting that we do, for the Tuesday night prison meeting that we do. And then we've had, you know, different, oftentimes there will be a committee, an ad hoc mm-hmm. committee to discuss, are we going to adopt the, the changed language from the preamble in our reading at the meeting? And so, you know, things that are sometimes controversial, <laughs> right? Yeah. If it gets too much to, to cover in the business meeting, we'll have an ad hoc committee meeting that will meet before or after a meeting during the course of the week. And so there's organization there. Right. Um, you know, uh, so a group, the best definition I know of is from the group pamphlet. It says a group exists outside of the confines of the meeting time. Yep. That's, that's right. Shank, what do you think about that? I didn't know the difference in a meeting and a group uh, probably until a few years ago, because I've only ever been a part of groups. Now, what I did know that I would 
always make sure to say anytime I gave a talk up until a few years ago was that I'm part of a three legacy group. You know, we meet and we do this and we do that and da 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 da. And it was very important for me to say that from the podium. And I'm not suggesting it's not important. Um, but I didn't even really, uh, I didn't really know just what a meeting was. Like, I don't think I cared, to be quite honest, because I knew that that's not what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, today, I don't know, I can see why, why it's necessary to just have meetings. Um, some that are not groups. Uh, there's one meeting that I used to go to a lot with the sponsee of mine, and it was like a specific group for a specific group of people that I did not fit into. But I went, you know, and it was great and fun. But in their opening readings, what I really appreciated, because I had a lot of prejudice about this meeting, and um, they would say like, hey, you know, we're the da-da-da group do not answer your phone in this group. Do not text. It better be on silent. And if you're an alcoholic, you're welcome to be here and share, you know? So like they made sure <laughs> to say that up front. And I loved that, you know, yeah. I'm like, everyone is questioning why I'm here if I'm part of the group, but uh, I can be here. And they just told me that I was here. So I think for some people, it can be helpful. That would have made me pull my phone out and start texting people. Of course it would have. And they start telling me, <laughs> telling me what I can and cannot do. Oh, yeah. God forbid you tell me what I can and cannot do early in sobriety. <clears throat> well, it's interesting. Oh, but I loved it. Our tradition says it. membership doesn't ever uh, hinge on money or conformity. Yep. Right? But I'm here to tell you that conformity for me has actually been a spiritual thing that's helped me. I had a, I've had some tough sponsors who basically said, you're going to conform to the way I tell you to do things or get another sponsor. And I liked the person. I admired the person. So I actually conformed. Now, that's different than group membership, obviously. But yeah. nonetheless, conformity has actually been something that has been beneficial to me. And I would never in a million years have believed that could be possible. Yeah. One, one thing that I think has been vitally important to my sobriety as far as the AA group is unity. And, you know, mm. I probably couldn't have pinpointed it to that uh, my first few years in sobriety. But you know, I learned I was not a bad employee before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, too, was young, not as young as both of y'all, I think. But um, I was a young. good employee. I, you know, um, I knew kind of how to live life. But Alcoholics Anonymous taught me how to show up early, meet people, make yes. coffee, shake hands, care about the meeting space know what the church wanted us to do and not to do, where the smoking section was, to care for someone else's property. Like Alcoholics Anonymous taught me all of these really good life lessons through a group who cared mm -hmm. about, you know, keeping our meeting space, our group space clean and doing what the church asked us to do. What I've had to realize over the years um, is in order to promote unity within the group today, you know, I, I don't have to show up three hours before everyone else just so that I get to make the coffee. So everyone knows I make the coffee at this meeting or I set the chairs up. Do I do those things? Sure. <laughs> uh, but it's more about teaching other people, you know, kind of the ins and outs of Alcoholics Anonymous or recently maybe group etiquette, you know, like how to behave in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um it, it's it, it shifts and that doesn't mean that I don't still do those other things yeah I show up early I cut up I got to eat um my current home group we spend a lot of time together on meeting nights like three four five hours we're together and I think it's amazing I've gotten to know a lot of uh really great people but I have to remember that like it's not all about me and this is my group and I do everything you know I have to allow the new people to show up and like have that same experience as I did to learn these things because I can be really possessive over it sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Well, all those are good reasons to be involved in a group because you, you, you don't learn that stuff at the lunch bunch or at the, the six o'clock brown bag. No, nothing wrong with those, with those meetings. I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, that's not what I'm saying, but 
you don't learn how to uh, to be responsible and you don't learn how to take care of other people's things. You don't learn how to, to show up on time and uh, to provide a good meeting space for people mm-hmm. because it, it just doesn't exist in those kind of drop-in style meetings. Mm-hmm. You definitely don't learn about traditions and service structure and, you know, group consciousness and things like that because they, they don't do it. Yes, that's very true. And I want to chime in on that, the three legacies idea, because I think a lot of people, I didn't, I missed people, you know, we have our own lingo in AA, right? And, <laughs> and I missed a lot of it just because I'm too afraid and embarrassed to ask questions. But like the three legacies, unity, service, and recovery, the group's firing on all three of those. They're just very attractive. Um, and we have a responsibility, right, to, uh, uh, to, to represent AA well. When you're talking about what, what the, so we rent space from a church and the church has certain things they want us to do. Now the church does not allow smoking on their campus, but they let us smoke. Mm-hmm. Right. And we explained to them, yep. look, we're not going to fly under false colors. When we, when we, when we first rented the space from the church, there's an awful lot of smokers among alcoholics, especially new ones. And um, if we don't have a little smoking area somewhere, we're concerned. Our concern is that, Someone will sneak off under the stairwell in the building and smoke or smoke in the bathroom or, or do something that's even more destructive. So yeah. uh, we respect your tradition of not wanting cigarette smoking on your property. But if we can set this off in the corner of the parking lot and have a position that guarantees that we're not going to have any cigarette butts on the ground ever, you know, can we try to do that? And they agreed to that. And we've kept that up. And that's why we have a butt picker position. Mm-hmm. That's that actual voted on position every month. <laughs> butt picker. Butt picker. Butt picker. And uh, whoever raises their hand to be the butt picker that month gets a round of applause because it's Love the it. job in the group. You walk around the parking lot. And we have butt cans out there, but you know how alcoholics are. They uh-huh. smoke a cigarette, throw it on the ground, stomp on. And so someone has to go pick them all up every night. And it's very humbling and very, very much of, of a service job. But when we were starting this group, we're getting ready to have, matter of fact, we're having our 14th anniversary this Saturday. Uh, so 14 years ago, we we're starting this group. It fell to me to go around town and meet with churches to find out, can we rent a space from you for this meeting? And this is really, this was eye-opening to me. I had half a dozen church secretaries tell me, you know, we had an AA group here 10 years ago and they spilled coffee on the carpet and they put cigarette butts in the parking lot and they broke this and they didn't tell us that that was broken and they clogged the toilets and, and then they left and then, you know, and they never told us that they weren't, weren't coming anymore. And, so some meeting, you know, not much of a three legacies group had rented space from them 10 years before and it left a bad taste in their mouth. And that's not an uncommon experience. You know? No, it's not. We had the same experience when we started our group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, and I'll tell you a funny story about that. That same woman, that the one who, the church we began our meeting at, the secretary, was a very sweet Christian woman, you know, very kind and soft-spoken and polite and very nice lady. Um, and I went because I had been coached up by my sponsors over the years. And I went out to meet with these people. I was wearing slacks and a tie and a button-down shirt, uh, you know, trying to represent my group well <laughs> to these very nice folks. And the woman said to me, now, what is your connection to Alcoholics Anonymous? And I said, excuse me? And she said, well... Are you the person? Are you, yeah. Are you like some organization that finds space for these for these kinds of people? <laughs> she didn't think I was. Love alcoholic. it. Love yeah. it. No, I'm an alcoholic. She said, "Property You're an broker." Alcoholic? <laughs> I said, "Yes, ma'am. I'm an alcoholic." That's awesome. I've been sober for 20 years or whatever, and uh, you know, so that was just kind of funny to me, you know, because society does people do have a preconceived idea of what alcoholics should look like. And we have engendered in, in a lot of people an idea of what an alcoholic group should behave like or shouldn't behave like. And yeah, that's right. Hmm. You know, the other thing that hit that I, I thought about, I'm gonna get some hate mail for this. The um <laughs> it's I was gonna say it's hard to duplicate, but it's I would it's impossible to duplicate what we're talking about by being a member of an online group only. Hmm. So and I'm not I'm not bashing online groups or meetings. I know that, that they provide a, 
an absolute necessary service to a lot of people, but the, the things we're talking about, you can't duplicate that online. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why, you know, I, I, I mean, I, th- I hope that I'm always capable of being involved in a, in a face-to-face group that, that meets regularly somewhere and that, that does stuff outside of the meeting itself. So, well, and I think that that's part of being a group also, because the inventories that I have been a part of accessibility issues are always have always been a part of how can we better serve our community you know, whether it's a wheelchair ramp or being more centrally located um, to where there needs to be a group. So thank God for that. Yeah, no, I think that the online meeting and the Zoom meeting and all of that serve, has serves and has served served in profound uh, importance during, during the pandemic, especially the early days when everyone's still trying to figure out, you know, like for instance, our group, we were not allowed to meet. We're a big group, 150 plus. And so you know, I mean, 150 plus home group members. And so, you know, sometimes we'll have 200 people in our meeting and we simply had no option uh, of meeting. It, you know, we even talked about meeting in the church parking lot outdoors and the church was not happy. They, 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 yeah. they, they would not allow us to do that. Um, and so online Zoom was our only option. And so for 14 months we had Zoom. And then um, in, in Shank, as you said about um, accessibility, we, um, when, when the pandemic started to kind of ease up and we were allowed to go back in the church, we made the decision we weren't going to do Zoom anymore for our primary meetings for Thursday and Saturday, which is our two big meetings, but we were going to add a Zoom only meeting on another night, which we do on Tuesday nights, uh, which is like a step meeting um, for people who had, you know, met our, met our group, for anyone in our group who wanted to do that on a Tuesday night, along with the people who had kind of become regular attendees of our zoom meetings, you know, and I do think there's an accessibility reason to, to do something like that. But yeah, for my home group though, and I need to be face to face with people, the newcomer, especially and all my friends and yeah. then the other stuff that we do together, like our group, there's a big crew of people every Saturday night. We have our speaker meeting. It's seven to eight 30. It's a two speaker meeting. And then we all go out to dinner together, you know, 60 or 70 of us. We all go to Jerry's bed. We all go to a pizza restaurant you know, and the restaurant yep. was specifically chosen because it's cheap and because it's, you, you pay at the counter. You can get can a slice accommodate. of pizza. Yeah. yeah, it can accommodate the group and uh, and you can pay at the counter and you can get one slice of pizza and a Coke for about five dollars. Uh, so even the most, you know, cash strapped newcomer who is not likely to ask for help or certainly not likely to ask you to buy them a slice of pizza or dinner or anything can get a slice of pizza and a Coke for for five bucks, you know, and can sit down and fellowship with us. And we take over that restaurant every Saturday night. And so that kind of stuff too, really contributes to the unity uh, of a home group. I love that. Well, it sounds like if you're new and you're part, you just found out that you're part of a meeting and not a group, do not fret. That happened to loud shirt or he wanted to die, you know, (laughs) a few years into sobriety hadn't really done much. And then he got with it. I love that. You know, there are so yeah. many experiences in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we're all we're all different, really. And what happens? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jerry yeah. sounds like you were just right out of the gate in a group that had a mind of its own, changing things. Love that. That's right. Yep. And st- yeah, I stayed sober, even and, with that the group, with that funny the preamble. Group, That's the group right. conscience has the right to be wrong. That's, That's right. right. And hopefully, we when when we're wrong, if we're wrong for long enough, we'll eventually figure that out. And it'll correct. That's okay. We're not trying to be perfect here. That's right. You want to read something, Jerry? If you will let me, out of the AA Home Group pamphlet, read it, uh, which talks about you know why why have a home group. It says with membership comes the right to vote mm-hmm. on issues that affect the group, and it says as with all group conscience matters, each AA member has one vote, and this is ideally voiced at the home group. You know, and that <clears throat> sometimes you'll hear people say they have multiple home groups. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I'm a big believer in having one uh, because I have one vote in Alcoholics Anonymous and I vote at my home group. And sometimes people will get multiple votes because they're voting at this group and that group and the other group. Um, the other area where that comes in is kind of a fourth tradition thing about autonomy. You know, every group is autonomous. We have a little autonomous group conscience and it might be different from this group over here or this group over there. But if I'm the secretary at one group 
the treasurer at another group and the GSR at a third group, then I'm kind of screwing with the autonomy of all those groups. That's right. I'm not letting them develop their own autonomy and uh, kind of controlling and, and getting multiple votes. And I think that's bad for the groups and groups, you know, hell, why do we need to have a group conscience? Just let John do it all. That's right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not good for my ego either. No, it's not. That's right. One group and one sponsor is probably a good suggestion. I think that's a fabulous, fabulous yep. suggestion. Yep. Shank, let's go to meeting shrapnel. What do you think? All right, let's hit it. All right, what's our first? Theme, you get a little huh? theme music. You need a little theme oh, music. Oh, meeting shrapnel. We, we'll <laughs> edit that in in a minute little, later. Little you'll you'll hear it. It's, it's, a, it's a bomb. Right. It's a bomb exploding. Actually, is yeah. Intro to it. So, what's our uh, buckle up, loud shirt? Get ready. I'm ready. Shank, what's our first one? All right, meeting shrapnel number one. Meeting makers make it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you think, uh, loud? I had a sponsor who used to say, meeting makers make meetings. Well, you know, there you go. Now, now I want to look. I, we can get off. No, the don't get soft on us. No, but it, it's good advice for a newcomer to go to a lot of meetings. I believe that. Okay. Go to a lot of meetings for sure. You know, because anything's better in those first days and weeks than your own thoughts and your own, you know, sitting in your halfway house by yourself, you know, smoking cigarette after cigarette, which is what I did <laughs> often. But, um, but our program of recovery is very specific. It's 12 things. And we do these 12 things to get a spiritual awakening. That's our program of recovery, right? And in the early days, I, lo- I used to love to hear Sandy Beach talk about this and Tom Ivester and a few of the other old timers. In the early days, you'd be lucky if there was one meeting a week in your little town. Right. You know, and I remember Sandy specifically one time saying, how did we stay sober when there was only one meeting a week in our town? And maybe there was a second meeting 35 miles away in another town right. that we could go to on a different night. But the other nights and days, there were no meetings to go to. So we sure had to pray a lot. We sure had to get on the phone and talk to our sponsors and our AA contacts a lot. Yep. Make, make make time to get together and have coffee and, and read the book together. Things like that. We're spoiled yep. today. We're spoiled today with the bound. And in Metro Atlanta, there's about 1,500 meetings a week. Right? It's very easy to kind of hide in meetings. And I did that for three years. I mean, I probably averaged 10 meetings a week for my first three years. So we'd go to the you know, 8 o'clock, especially on Friday and Saturday, go to the 8 o'clock and go eat something, come, then come back to the 10 o'clock, and then sometimes come back yep. to the midnight candlelight meeting. You know? Oh yeah, I love the, the midnight and, candlelight. And those were all open discussion meetings, and they were all pretty much anything goes meetings. Yeah. And like I said, I thought I had a kick-ass AA program during those years because I went to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten meetings a week. Yeah. And I was dying. Yeah. So, just, what do you think, Jay Wayne? Just share where you're at. Is is it? <laughs> share share well, where most, you're at. Well, I have to say that you're sitting on a drink, John. I to, I, almost every one of the meetings I went to began they were almost all open discussion they began with the discussion leader saying who's got a problem they want to talk about yep. tonight anybody got a problem they want to talk about today and then yeah i got a problem say, you know my mom's dying of cancer and then someone says you know my mom died of cancer last year and then someone would say oh man my my, my mother-in-law had cancer and this is what she did about it and before you knew it it turned into a, a cancer a survivor's meeting oh right? yeah yeah, and I'm familiar. It's just not uncommon, right? We've all been over the years to these kind of, or, or you know, my dog got hit by a car. Oh man, my dog has you know leukemia and is dying, and it's really hard, and, you know, and not a whole lot of focus on the solution. Yeah, I heard a guy one time say they uh, they they opened up that way. This is a long time ago. Anybody got a problem they want to talk about today? And he raised his hand and said, "Yeah, I got alcoholism. Let's talk about that." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, are you, you keeping one, it or scrapping it? it it's got to go. I'm, it's out of here. I don't, it doesn't serve any purpose. Loud shirt, what do you think? Yeah, like I said, with the qualification of if you're new, yeah, go to a lot of meetings. But yep. it's important to say that our program of action, nowhere does it say go to a lot of meetings. Our program of action says we work the steps. We get a sponsor, we get connected to a higher power. 
And that's our solution. And there is no amount of meetings that will substitute for it. Yep. Shank, final word. It's out of here. All right. <laughs> What's the next one? All right. Meeting shrapnel number two. I spilled more liquor than you drank. Wow. Oh, yeah. This is a... This well, is a we perfect, all heard that. that all of this us is a perfect group for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I heard the comeback for that was, if you didn't spill so much, you might have got here sooner. Amen. That's right. You know? But it's not about quantities. It even says that in the big book. It's not about the quantities. It's about what happens to me when I take a drink. What happens to my body and mind and spirit, you know? And for me, I always need another drink. I can't control what happens after I start, including all the other substances that I'm likely to go chasing after and all the other behaviors that I'm likely to indulge in. And I'm powerless over that, you know? So it's not about quantities. It's about what happens to me when I take a drink. And I was three and a half years old before I learned that. Yeah. They got to get rid of this one. I hate this one. Yeah, get rid of it for sure, because it's stupid. Yeah. That, may be, that makes me sound judgmental, perhaps, but it's stupid. <laughs> it is stupid. I don't. I feel like we don't hear it anymore, though. Not as much. Not as much. Um, Thankfully. Yeah, but it's it's it doesn't help anybody. I, I think we should scrap it. Scrap it. Shank? How many, scrap how it. Many, how many meeting shrapnels are we doing? Because I have three. We have one more. All right. One more. What's the next one? Meeting shrapnel number three is fake it till you make it. Mm. Actually, I'm okay with this one. I'm okay with this one. Again, if it's qualified, you know, because um, I had to, uh, to take a bunch of different actions that I did not understand, comprehend, or believe in in any way. You know, and so if you want to call that faking it till you make it, then I'm, I'm good with that. But I don't think these qualifications get made. And I think some of these sayings, where they came from, there were very good intentions and a, and a good attempt to kind of break it down for the newcomer. But as long as it, but it usually doesn't get broken down for the newcomer, right? It just gets slung around the meeting like, hey, fake it till you make it. Everything will be fine. Yeah. And no, 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 it will not. <laughs> There's a very genuine set of instructions that we have here. And okay, I can, like for instance, step three, you know, I took step three and started writing my inventory with no faith whatsoever that this was gonna work. Okay, so on some level you can say, yeah, I was faking it, you know, but I was desperate and I was willing to take some action. And that's not fake, that's very real. I'm moving my feet down a really particular path, you know, so, uh, you know, anyway, so I don't know, I'm mixed up on this one. As long as you explain what it means when you say that, and if you get, then I'm okay with it, but otherwise yeah. it's problematic. Yeah, we could say that about all of them though. They all of them probably were well intended at one point, but most of them were mis I think misinterpreted. Chink, what do you think about this one? You ever faked it till you made it? Oh my gosh. You know what? I actually knew this saying from work, like from my career prior to <laughs> arriving in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thought it was just as stupid when I would hear it at work. Um, so no, I don't, I've, I hate this one too. I highly dislike it. Whatever you want to say. I just don't understand what we're faking until we're making. Like I can't fake getting sober for me personally. Like I had to take some actions. I couldn't just show up in relation to, I couldn't just make meetings, you know, and then by osmosis or whatever people say, get and be sober. So, no, I don't like this one. Scrap it. Yeah, there was a guy who spoke I, at one of our group anniversaries years ago when we lived in Connecticut and he came from Philadelphia. I don't remember the guy's name, but I think I still have the printout he brought. He, handed, he made handouts. He had, it was 532 things and he listed them. I mean, this is pre-internet, right? This is like, or early days maybe, but he said 500, it was like 537 things that you could say in a meeting and not have to work the steps. Oh um, my God. You gotta send it to us. I have to dig it up. I'm sure we've captured it. We, we, we need that for sure. Like a, 
I don't have an electronic copy. I have a paper copy of it. And it was these kind of things. And the one that I was going to suggest adding uh, is um, uh, take what you want and leave the rest. No. Which, thankfully, you don't hear much anymore. I have not heard that in a long time, but I heard that a ton in the late 80s and early 90s. Hey, Loud Shirt. Mm Mm-hmm. Listen, that one has already been scrapped. We scrapped that one a while ago. And I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir here. We covered it. I don't know. I don't know how long ago it's been, but we covered it on another episode. It's out of here, man. It's out. I always remember that one, and that just damn near killed me. Oh no! It was. It was just the last episode, wasn't it, Shank? We scrapped it. Was it? It could have been. I think it was recent. I think it was with the Don. Mm I'll tell you what I took from the meeting. I took a cup of coffee and as many girls' phone numbers as I could get. Uh, and uh, and I didn't yeah. put anything in your basket either. Nice. You know, so listen, don't no fake sponsor. it. No sponsor. <laughs> fake it till you make it. Scrap. Scrap. Done. Scrap. Like I said, I'm. I'm, I'm it's you know, out of here. As, you know, no qualifiers. You, <laughs> if there's no qualifiers, then scrap it. All right. Nice. Yeah, no qualifiers here. No qualifiers here, and we'll. Uh, We'll send you a shirt that says, take what you want and leave the rest. <laughs> I think we should send him a shirt that says no qualifiers. No qualifiers. Yeah, let me take, let me make note of that. <laughs> but I will start listening to see if people, you know, give a little blurb before they say the shrapnel. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Loud shirt, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with. My uh, pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's been a uh, treat. Appreciate all your experience. And uh, remember, membership in a home group is vitally important if you want to recover from alcoholism and be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It can also help you to be free. Amen. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.